This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Putting Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. So I hope everyone is safe. Uh, Where I am, we are going into another quarantine period. So it's it's getting a little bit stressful. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Which is why I'm so happy to be talking with Ramona Mallory today. Her time as Anne in the revival of A Little Night Music is filled with some really great stories. However, before we get into that interview, I do want to let people know what to expect over the next few months. I will also preface this by saying that there are things that are subject to change depending on if some guests say yes or no. But this is kind of what I'm planning on doing. We have another interview next week by a person who actually wrote something called the Sondheim Encyclopedia. Really interesting talk, has a lot of fascinating tidbits about Sondheim, about the process of researching this and his history with him. And anyways, it's a really good conversation. That essentially is going to bring us to the end of the A Little Night Music season. I am going to talk about the film, and I always think I'm saying this wrong, Stavisky, Stavisky, that movie that Sondheim wrote the score for. I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the music from that movie and maybe a little bit about the movie itself. That'll be another episode. Then we're going to get into two essentially mini seasons. I do want to discuss the songs that Sondheim wrote for Candide. This is kind of the very last time that he would only write the lyrics for a project, but it was because he was such good friends with Leonard Bernstein that he was brought into that project to try and save it. I don't really know a whole lot about Candide, I have to confess. So I'm kind of in research mode currently, watching some of the productions, learning a little bit more about it, understanding exactly what Sondheim did. Then we get into The Frogs. Now, while the first professional Broadway version of that would not happen until the 2000s, there was a performance of that back in the 70s in the pool of Yale, I think it was. Definitely it was in a pool somewhere. And I have gone back and forth with this about whether I should do a complete, like, every song gets an episode season for the frogs. And I do believe I have come to the decision that that's not going to happen. One, because I have a bit of a prejudice in that I don't really like the frogs all that much. Uh, But also, B, I have some really interesting guests lined up for Pacific Overtures, and I really want to get to those. But I also want to give short shrift to the frogs. And I think it's something we can always come back to, to delve into a little bit deeper. So I'm still going to talk about it. Uh, I don't know how many episodes that's going to translate into, but I do want to give a good overview, similar to what I did with Do I Hear a Waltz, in that here's some of the backstory, here are some of the songs, this is the lasting legacy of the show, and then kind of move on into like a deeper season for Pacific Overtures. But if you have thoughts on this, things I should do, things I definitely shouldn't skip over, then definitely you can email me at puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you'd like to help support the show for absolutely free, you can give a rating and review on whatever app you listen to podcasts in. So that's greatly appreciated. And if you'd like to help monetarily, which will only help to grow and make this show better, you can do so over at our Patreon page. Please do not donate if it impacts you negatively financially. By the way, we have a new patron this week, so thank you, Joel. I also need to give a huge thanks to the God That's Good tier from Patreon, the triumphant quartet of Jack, Todd, Barry, and Carrie. Let me go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, it'll be me talking with Ramona Mallory about her time with the revival of A Little Night Music. Putting It Together is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bill. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This week, we're also brought to you by ATB Cares. This is a great compliment to Park Power. With ATB Cares, giving is easy. Donate through ATB Cares and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities, maximizing the impact of your donation. Visit atbcares.com to choose your cause and donate today. Ramona Mallory, thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. You know, your name has already been mentioned on this podcast. We've also even heard you sing on this podcast, technically, uh, from a short little snippet from (laughs) when you were in A Little Night Music. But maybe you can formally introduce yourself here to the listening audience. Well, hi, listening audience. (laughs) I'm Ramona Mallory, and I was so lucky in my life to be the uh, to play Anna Agerman in the revival of Little Night Music on Broadway. You know, something that we kind of mentioned here on the show is kind of like the family history that you have with this show, uh, because your mom was the original Anne in the original production and your father was the original Henrik in the original production. Do you know any any history of them being in the show? Like, do you know how like they auditioned, <laughs> how they got in, like that sort of thing at all? I do, actually. Yeah. Um, my mother was actually the first person cast within the show. She was uh, doing Follies. And I believe it was it was Hal who brought her into his office. He was just, uh, you know, shuffling through his papers and he sort of slid some uh, a bit of a script in front of her. And he said, you know, Vicky, go ahead and read this. And uh, she read a couple of lines. It was actually uh, the first scene with Anne and Henrik um, with the ball. And 
she sort of looked up at him and he said, you're my Anne. That's amazing. So that's how that really happened. And then my father was actually the the last person cast in uh, oh, the original Broadway revival of or the original Broadway production of A Little Night Music. You know, they were great, great friends. And then they, <laughs> after the show, as we all know, like their characters did, they ran away together mm -hmm. to Los Angeles. And years later, here I was. Well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will have to say, too, I, I have a deep love of that original original Broadway cast recording of that show. Oh. It's just such beautiful music that's captured. Um, and I was just talking to, uh, the other day about how I still to this day don't think that any single person, even though there's been great performers who have taken on the role of Henrik, have ever hit that note <laughs> in, in, in later uh, mm -hmm. as well as your dad does. So it's like, it's just something about how he hits that. It's just so great. Well, that was, that was really the reason why um, Henrik was left as an open cast for so long, mm -hmm. because that note is that note. Yeah. And, and when he came in and did that, it was like, well, <clears throat> there's the Henrik. Was, then was it always like this foregone conclusion that you were also going to be in theater and an actress? Or was that something that you had to kind of come to your own decision about? Well, I was really lucky because um, I was what you could probably consider like a trunk baby. <laughs> My mother, even though uh, she never went back to Broadway after uh, A Little Night Music, she did a lot of summer stock every single year and and productions during the year even and i would travel around with her and so i just grew up with this great love of it um our regular monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday nights were sitting around the piano singing together wow. and and my mother was a beautiful pianist and so we would just get out the hundreds of, of librettos and, you know, old sheets of music and play. What did she like to play the most? Oh, goodness. Uh, musical theater songs. Right, right. <laughs> Mostly Sondheim, though, because I, I just have such this great image of her with her little clicking nails on her piano with the. Uh, <laughs> with all of Sondheim's wonderfully intense chord structures, click, 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 click. Right. It's such a beautiful memory. And so she would always have this beautiful glow about her mm -hmm. whenever she was playing Sondheim because he was such a massive part of her life. Right. Well, I want to get to, of course, you and in, in, in the uh, revival production that you're in. But what I always find so invigorating or, or great to watch is Sondheim as teacher because there's some videos mm -hmm. you can find on YouTube even of him I think it was like some PBS special but of him like teaching young singers how to sing his songs was there that type of advice that uh, your mother got as well that you that you know about or even for you who that, that you were given I mean, I don't think I have any real specific um, instances and stories from either my mother or my father, mm -hmm. but I, I do remember um, getting caught on the stairs. You know, the Walter Kerr has that mm -hmm. really tall um, dressing room, like hangout. <laughs> and, you, you know, my dressing room is like on the fourth or fifth floor, something like that. And I remember coming down the stairs, we're probably four months into to night music at this point. And we had seen him a lot through rehearsals and he would come by the theater, but he just grabbed me one day. And, and we just had this wonderful conversation about every day, a little death actually. 
And he gave me the greatest compliment I've ever been given in my entire life. And I think it will continue to be the greatest compliment. And he said to me that in Every Day a Little Death, I was coming up with things that he didn't think were in the song. And that made me realize so much about who he is as a person, Mm. who he is as a composer and a lyricist and a storyteller, because it means that even though he's like the genius above genius of all time for musical theater, he still had this beautiful sense of humility and, and humanism. And he is still like a child learning and learning every moment of time where he start he he learns to be a creative all over again and so we just got into this long beautiful conversation about how the words fuel our thoughts our ideas our feelings and how he writes to ensure that the audience can experience them and that's why his lyrics are so important and how they've shaped and changed the industry. That's beautiful. I like that. I like that sentiment. You know, you, you were talking about how you were traveling around. Your mom is in a bunch of the mm-hmm. summer stock stuff. What was your first production you were in? My first professional production was actually a, a summer tour of The Music Man, mm. and, <laughs> which actually we performed at the Muni. You know, and I'm like this 12, 12 year old little girl. And I remember looking out at the Muni and being like, this is the biggest thing I've ever been in in my yeah. life. It was a really amazing experience. And so that was really what hooked me. Yeah, there was there had always sort of been this wax and wane, just like any other child. I was like, I want to be a veterinarian or whatever it was. But but the truth was, I, it just felt very predestined for me to. um continue down the path and be part of the creative endeavors that I was, um, that I was born into since, since night music, I've, I've had a very different journey and I'm just now finding my way back, um, in New York and having all sort of having all new kinds of creative experiences. And it's just so nice to be home who knows what the future holds it's a strange time in the world but it's nice to be back and at least close to all of those beautiful memories that i had during that music first and foremost you said you had like a different journey after your time with the little night music what was that journey you know kyle the truth is after a little night music i looked at my life and I realized that even though I was the luckiest young woman in the world to have been on this path and to have had this this sensational blessing to have achieved that dream uh, of being on Broadway, I realized that that lifestyle of of being in the spotlight, of being the star, wasn't right for me. It just wasn't. And I, I really chose to leave the industry as an actress because it was more important to me to really love who I was as a human being more than being on stage at that time in my life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, stardom does a very strange thing to so many people. And I just made the decision to put my creativity elsewhere. And so mm-hmm. now after all of these years, I'm going, hmm, is it time to come back? Right. So yeah. we'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, there, there's there been a few different examples of that through history, too, where, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you're supposed to, like, do do it this way. Like, you, you've attained this, so now you have to go and do this way. And there's something to be said about like, you know what? It's just not for me. The the one that actually leaps to mind that I'm like super respectful of is uh, Rick Moranis. I don't know if you know the, the story of Rick Moranis, but like I don't super big, like, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, yeah. of course, in like um, Little Shop of Horrors and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had a pretty big star rising as like a comedic actor. And then his wife actually tragically passed away. So he decided to leave Hollywood and raise his kids. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just spend time with them and I'm going to completely walk him. away. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, why would <laughs> like you? Why? Why not? Exactly. That's not the right thing for your career, but it was probably the right thing for him to do in right. that situation. So and it, and it was really the right thing for me. Yeah. And people always ask me if if I regret leaving, they're like, were you crazy? You were you were <laughs> doing it. You had the thing. But but the reality is. Broadway and acting and performance will always be a part of my life in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be standing, you know, down and center, singing right. my, my, the top of my lungs with people cheering. There are other ways for me to enjoy my creativity that doesn't amplify that feeling of being a star that I didn't yeah. like. You know, well, we we were mentioning here how you are currently in New York State. Mm-hmm. So you're closer to Broadway than I am right now. And mm-hmm. as we're recording this, what's really uh, great to hear is I think that they're going to be slowly reopening some of the theaters here pretty soon in New York State. So Broadway lights are going to be coming back on, which is nice mm-hmm. to hear after like over a year of being shut down. But I guess taking us all the way back to probably that 2008, 2009 period, when when did you hear that they were doing a revival of a little night music? Well, you know, it was very, it it was all sort of serendipitously timed. Mm. I had just returned from doing, I won't say what it was, but I was doing one of those tours where it was for kids and it was Mm -hmm. like three shows a day and hard. And then I, I was just lucky enough to to start working with uh, a wonderful agent, and and one of the first real auditions that popped up, they were it was the Fantastics, which I was so mm. lucky to do. I love that show so much, and then I was actually set to do uh, Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. Oh wow! Uh, when I got the night music audition, and it was another one of those hard decisions because. I didn't want ever to be cast because of who I was, right? right but I right. loved the show so much. And so I actually harshly, well, not harshly, but a, a little harshly instructed my agent at the time to not let the producers or the casting directors know who I was and who my family history was mm-hmm. because I wanted to get it if I was to get it because of me. And and turns out I... I kept going through the audition process when finally we got to the Stephen Sondheim audition. And I remember getting the call from my, my agent saying, Ramona, you got the gig. And I was like, what about the Stephen Sondheim audition? He was like, and she said, well, it's about time somebody realized who you were. 
Because <laughs> 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 yeah. he apparently was like, give her the job. Right, right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But yeah, it was just it was it was meant to be. It was cosmically timed. I mean, I know you've spoken very highly of your time there. Um, I'm always so fascinated by like, of course, like the process, how what goes into the show, like like going into that revival. It was it always pitches like this is going to be a stripped down version of the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Trevor, Trevor Nunn had a very specific vision for for what the production would be. And so what that did allow was to let the revival of A Little Night Music have its own identity Mm -hmm. because the original Broadway production was huge and, you know, won every award and it was glamorous and 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 beautiful and expansive, not just with the with the sound, but with the um, with the sets and the costumes and the everything. And so this really gave all of us the opportunity and Trevor the opportunity to create something of our own. Well, you also got the opportunity to work with some like pretty huge Broadway stars of stage and screen. People who have listened to many episodes of this show will know that I have like this undying love of Angela Lansbury. <laughs> like I'm just like so enamored with her her entire <laughs> career. I, I, I guess I'm what I'm really asking for is like what do you have to say about Angela Lansbury like what stories do you have I am so happy to report yeah that she is everything you would ever wish she would be I always love when I hear this (laughs) oh it's the best she she's like everyone's favorite grandmother Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's generous and kind and open one of my uh, what something that I loved every single day, eight shows a week, was coming down the dressing room tower, and nine times out of ten, I would walk past her dressing room, and the curtain would be pulled open, the door would be open, and sure enough, there she was sitting on her little couch <laughs> with a table and a little bowl of candy, <laughs> to just let you come in and chat with her speak with her have a little bit of candy mm-hmm. and and she her generosity of spirit is unmatched it's unparalleled to anyone she just is the sweetest human being i have met and had the privilege of working with yeah truly I- I mean, like when you have someone like that, like not even just for you, but like other members of the company, like Mm -hmm. what does an enormous like talent and and person and teacher mentor that you can just ask those questions of? I I, I just think that there would be so many pieces of advice that she could offer uh, as far as like working on stage or or, or any of those types of things. Um, She well, she was very complimentary. Mm hmm. That's the interesting thing. She was so she was so so complimentary, and she would give you these compliments, and you'd be like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. right, and right. Then, right, and then and then she would just come up with these little pearls of wisdom about being in the now within that moment, and feeling the audience and feeling the applause, and how lucky we all were to do what we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She just had such a graciousness and a gratefulness about her. Yeah. 
And so it's like everything she said could have been in a quote book. <laughs> I should right. have written them down, but of course, silly me. Just a recorder not. the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, like in that original cast, there was Catherine Zeta-Jones, who was brought mm-hmm. in for Desiree. So um, another huge talent. <laughs> that was there's kind of was that what you're. That was her Broadway debut, was it not? I do believe it was, yes. Pretty sure it was, yeah. Yes. Um, and then, uh, I mean, again, replaced by another two huge talents in like Bernadette Peters and Elaine Stritch. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if there's anything uh, from those two <laughs> giants of musical theater that you have anything to say about. You know, I think Bernadette Peters is probably one of the most special people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, everything she says is funny, and you kind of have to... <laughs> to listen to her because she doesn't speak. She'd never spoke very loudly. She never felt like she needed the attention, but it it was, I felt like I would always give her double takes whenever she would say something because she was so hilarious. You know, the first, the first time I, I ever really spoke to her um, in rehearsals, at least we were actually on stage and, and she came up to me and grabbed me by the, the rib cage. And it turned out that because she had realized that it would probably fit me, she basically grabbed my hand and she she brought me into her dressing room and gave me a jacket. She's like, this I don't think this will fit me, but I think I think it'll fit you. Here it is. Here's your jacket. You know, (laughs) she just had that like kooky, fun nature. My favorite story of her, though, or or, or my story of her Mm -hmm. was every single night um, as I was about to run across stage, I would peer through the crack in the set and i would watch her perform Mm -hmm. send in the clowns right right and why i did that every single night was because every single night was different it was always different it was she always had new ideas was somewhere else in her emotional journey it was it was a marvel to watch and I and I really believe that's why Bernadette is Bernadette. She is she is made and meant for this mm-hmm. to portray a character and have the audience feel what she's feeling. And not, not, yeah, not to wax too poetic about this, but I, that's always the magic of live theater for me too. Is that like mm-hmm. you know what? This is the only time this show is going to be like this for me right uh like if i came tomorrow night or a week after this it's gonna be slightly different with a different audience Mm -hmm. different things like everything is always that slightly different but uh yeah i feel like that would be such a great honor to be able to actually watch that every single night and just be like yes okay there there is a master at work any any stories about elaine stritch at all let me see elaine stritch well she she was a whole other story entirely because her, her her dressing room door was open all the time also. Mm-hmm. But whenever you went in there, it would be like, you know, with the tights and the shirt. Mm-hmm. And she would be waxing about something. <laughs> talking, 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 laughing, 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 laughing. <laughs> you know, it's interesting is uh, I spent so much time with all of these amazing women and the strange part about being around legends is that you never forget their legends, but they just become a part of your life. Mm. And that's why I will always look back on it with such amazing fondness and uh, awe that that was the experience I had. 
Right. The thing I loved about Elaine was that she just, everything was a hoot and a holler. Mm-hmm. It was so inspiring. You know, even at, even at her age, you know, bless her soul, she always had a quick wit, a grin, and a twinkle in her eye. Mm-hmm. Amazing human being. <laughs> you know, g- going back here to you being brought into this show. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like as we said, you your your mother originated this role. You're coming on for this revival. Was that extra pressure for you? Like you got this role because you're you're talented and and you deserve okay. to get the role. But like, was was there something there in the back of your mind? Like, well, now I have something to prove because uh, my mother was also in this role. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to give you the unexpected answer. Which was, which is no, I, I was just, I, I was so lucky to grow up in a household where creativity was a part of my daily life. And I was more just excited to be able to be part of this beautiful show and give my own spin. I was never going to be Victoria Mallory. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even try. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, her, her amazing gentility and her, that sensational voice of hers and that, that kindness and that softness, not just saying that I don't have those little bits too, but there was just something so miraculous about her and her performances and Agerman. It's why, that's why she was the classic ingenue. And that was never completely me. And so I just went into it knowing that I just had to do, firstly, whatever Trevor told me to do. Right. <laughs> One must respect their director mm-hmm. and then allow myself to expand the role. That's, that's, I really, I believe that's what a revival truly needs to be. Well, yeah, like this is something that has been kind of popping up here on this show where by and large, yes. Like if I'm listening to an album, I'm I'm defaulting a lot to like original Broadway cast because that's who it was written for initially and, and that sort of thing. But I also love it when when a revival comes around and someone says, like, I'm gonna try something new. I'm gonna do a spin on this. Yeah. Going back to Bernadette Peters, this is why I'm so fond of her gypsy uh mm-hmm. take. I know some that's a divisive opinion for some people, but I loved her gypsy uh take on that. Just because it was different. It was something that no one had ever tried before. Yeah. Um, so, so how much free reign do you have with that? Like, what did you want? I guess really what I'm asking is what did you want to bring to Anne that had not been brought in before? I really trusted Trevor Nunn. I really trusted him. You know, he's, he's a fascinating man with deep understandings and, and, and deep ideas about his creativity in the production. And, and truth be told, Although there were there were many ideas that I had, it was really a, a a a mix between Trevor's real direction and my ideas. All my ideas I brought to him out of deep respect for him as a director, right. and so my performance was really a real combination of my little tidbits and Trevor's real vision. And you know, as a as a performer. It's a great honor to have that experience with a great director and to really be able to have that trusting relationship. Theater is such a special thing. It's, it's, a, it's its own entity. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's this beautiful entity of all of these individuals coming together with the trust of the producers and the trust of the directors to just make the art that they envision with us as these bodies, as these minds and these voices to bring forth their vision. And that's really what the Broadway revival of A Little Night Music was. How long were you with the production for? The whole show. The whole show. So how long did it run then? I guess is what I'm asking. like 400. Yeah. So just over a year, right? 400. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I'm often curious about people who are in the cast for like the entire run or for lengthy runs. I guess to back this up, I'm a big stand-up comedy fan. Mm. And what I've been told by stand-up comedians is like when you're honing your act, you kind of get it to a point where it's like, I can do this. I can memorize everything. I know where the beats are. I know where Mm. the laughs are probably going to come at. And then you start to have kind of this like out-of-body experience that can start to happen on stage where it's like, I'm going through this, but like I'm like thinking about other things like, oh, I have to go pick up groceries later on tonight and I have to go and do this <laughs> thing while you're still doing it because you've just done it so many times. Is that true for you or is it something that was like, I, I'm deeply in this every single moment uh, for that run? For me, the most important thing for me as an actress was the ability to live in those moments. You know, and and my character in particular was a bit was a bit challenging because basically all I did was sing and cry, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and but there's something about that that beautiful naive nature of my character that really allowed me to stay in the moment a lot because of the deep emotional turmoil that she seemed to perpetually be going through. And so, do you have those moments where you're like? I'm tired. I can't believe I have to go do the show tonight. But but the reality is you just do it. And and if you can allow yourself to stay in it, then that's when the real magic happens. Because that's when you walk off stage and you're like, it's over. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a time warp and you just you get lost in in the character, you get lost in, in, in the script and the music. And that's something special about Stephen, Stephen Sondheim's work, which is the world that he creates is so thorough and so imaginative and so human. Mm-hmm. It didn't really feel like a challenge to stay in it. Yeah. Because when you're saying those beautiful words as lyrics it's easy to stay in it was this might be a slightly unfair but was there a favorite song you got to sing every night every day a little death yeah the, you I know what is interesting I, that i have learned to really love that song when i did my deep dive into that on that episode it's like boy this there's so much here there, this is so rich for a singer and an actress to really dig into yeah, it was a wonderful experience, and and I was so lucky to work with Aaron Davy the whole run, mm-hmm. who is just such a doll and so funny. <laughs> she's, yeah, yeah. she's so funny, and it it was really my my favorite moment of the show because it's really where my my character was able to take a real beat and be filled with new information. And let it marinate and work through it. You know, being 
playing an ingenue is kind of about the bubble and the the young thing and the naive nature. But there was something about the slowdown of every day, a little death that really allowed me as an actress and as a character to have a point of reflection and understanding. And so for me, it was really that that deep change in in that moment that started my character on that great path towards finding what real happiness was. But it was through that loss. So that's absolutely why it was my favorite song yeah. to sing. You know, we've, we've talked about like the, the Broadway greats that you got to work with. But I don't want to give short shrift either to some of the other people in the company because uh, your Frederick or the original Frederick in your production was Alexander Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, what was he like to work with? Oh, well, perfectly lovely and perfectly British. <laughs> I love it. That, that's, that's, that's the perfect way. That, I like that description. Um, and then, then your Henrik was Hunter Ryan? Something Heard like a, yes. Hunter Ryan. <laughs> I, I, I pulled that yeah. out of my brain. Oh, my goodness. You okay. did. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. He's yeah. got full of spunk. Lots of energy, and you know he was just a doll to work with. I, I still, I'm still in contact with him, and we just yeah. touch base every once in a while. And yeah, that's great. He's a lovely that's guy. perfect. You know, the end of the run of a little night music uh, comes. What was closing night like for that show? Well, my circumstances of my last couple of shows of night music would not have been the way I had planned it. Uh, okay, I um. I was horribly injured, actually. Oh, at the show or? <laughs> oh. Um, during, uh, I think it was like the fifth show prior to our closing night. Mm-hmm. There's that stunt that, well, not really stunt, but I roll off the bed with Leanne Larkin, who played yeah. Petra, and I catch myself on the ground and I felt this pain in my neck shooting up. Oh, no. And, and by intermission, which is not a lot of time, I was physically like convulsing. I was shaking so hard because I was so in so much pain. I had completely thrown my neck out, but I was, so I missed that one show, I think that half show, but I was completely determined to finish out my run. I was like, I I can't miss my closing couple of shows. Right, right, right. And so this is terrible. Uh, I'm actually admitting this on the podcast, but you know what? It's the truth. (laughs) I was on so much Percocet just trying to survive, but, but that's the, the miracle of having a show so in your body. I remember the first show that I had to do, even though I was still in such pain after this horrible injury that had occurred, and I remember taking a breath and exhaling and coming on to do the waltz mm-hmm. for the opening number and being like, okay, body. This is trust. And it actually turned out to be some really, really wonderful shows, especially the closing. Mm -hmm. And everybody, it was just this strange sense of celebration and sadness at the same time. It was the epitome of, you know, melancholy. Yeah. But ultimately, when you close a show like that, you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And I hope that the way I feel is how everybody felt, which was just grateful. Mm-hmm. Grateful, grateful to have been a part of that. I, I mean, I, I, I've never been really an actor before, but just talking as a 
uh, an audience member, I mean, I've been able to attend uh, like closing nights here at my the local theater. Um, and there is something special when you get to be an audience member for like the closing night because it, there is this finality to it. It's like, well, this is never happening again. These people will never be in this group ever again on nope. stage. So uh, we get to enjoy this as kind of as a group. So I, I'm I'm sure that everyone kind of felt the same type of thing. Uh, I mean, this is a podcast about Sondheim lyrics, so I think it it makes sense for me to ask, do you have a favorite Stephen Sondheim lyric? I do. <laughs> I do. What is it? Um, stop worrying where you're going. Move on. If you can know where you, you're going, you've gone. Just keep moving on. I've actually been listening to it, that song a lot lately, and I feel that that resonates more than ever before, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I, I personally believe that this journey called life is about trust, mm -hmm. trusting where you're going, trusting the path that you're on. And, and for me, and, and I hope humanity, if they can just hear that a little more that everything's going to be okay that we can just keep one foot in front of the other no matter where that journey ends that we can be happily in it is what matters yeah you know um yeah i think i think move on is so resonant to to what the last year has been like for so many people <laughs> yeah. um that uh yeah i can i can totally understand that Thank you so much for joining me here today. This has been such a blast. I'm so looking forward to seeing whatever your next journey actually happens to be. <laughs> uh, if people wanted to follow you uh, and see what you're up to online, what is the easiest way to do so? Well, it's really easy, actually, in the world of social media. You can follow me at uh, Ramona Mallory on Instagram. And my guess is when people, if people start to uh, follow me, they'll be pretty excited by some of the things that are coming next. That's awesome. I <laughs> see you're, you're perking people's interests here. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Great. Thanks, Ramona. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening. You can send emails to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Sondheim Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash puttingittogetherpodcast. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to Park Power, and to ATB this week. Putting It Together is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get podcasts from. Consider subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Next week, we'll be talking about the Sondheim Encyclopedia with its author. I'll just have to check my sources. As always, a big thanks to the great Chris Taniguchi who designed the podcast artwork and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. Well, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.